Now, um, I've called uh, the, 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 uh, the sermon Battle Orders. Okay, so let's actually start off by saying, well, in this passage I read earlier, uh, who were the Philistines? The Philistines were essentially uh, rather, in one sense, like the Vikings. They were an invading naval force that came from, uh, came from another area uh, into the land of Canaan over a period of decades, uh, indeed over a period of a, a century or so. But unlike the Vikings, they weren't just marauders. They were actually a highly expert trading power and also a very advanced military power. And they combined it with a lot of acumen. Uh, so, for instance, they had learnt um, uh, the art of uh, the art of iron smelting from uh, from uh, foreign foreign powers, and they brought it across the Mediterranean, and didn't tell anybody how to actually make iron tools or iron weapons. And that monopoly that they had gave them a massive, uh, a massive. Uh, technological superiority, to put it in modern terms, uh, in terms of their weaponry. And so not only did they actually have uh, military, military organization, uh, they were a highly um, courageous fighters. These men were, were fighters. They weren't, they weren't cowards. Uh, but they were also trained to a high level relative to those days and uh, proved to be a very, very difficult force to deal with. But we know they were vulnerable. Uh, we know that Saul, before David, had had a few successes against them, although he, in the end, of course, died in battle against the Philistines. Um, now, I want us to note that in this, in this particular story, David has just been anointed king over, the, over, all, over all Israel. He had been a king of Judah, his own tribe. After the, after the death of Saul, he he, the, the, his own tribe anointed him as the leader or commander, uh, which amounted to, the, to being the king. But once Saul's son had died um, in an assassination, a rather, rather uh, awful um, murder by, by uh, tra you know, traitors within his, within his own uh, military, um, then the whole of the, the, the Israelite federation, we might say, all the 12 tribes who had this federal... Um, organization uh, um, before Saul, before they elected him king. But then all of these, these tribes came together and they basically elected David as king over all Israel. Now it's in that stage of David's career that suddenly the Philistines get involved. Now I want us to notice it says, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. Now <laughs> I want you to, to notice, they went to search for David, what, to offer him a, uh, some flowers, uh, you know, to congratulate him? No. They are out to kill him, and in fact to destroy his forces. Uh, no doubt they were particularly enraged, because at one point, when David had been on the run from Saul, he'd actually become what you know, people call a vassal, um, a, 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 a kind of like a, a serving um, warrior, uh, or, and a warrior leader to a, one particular Philistine leader. And the fact this guy had now actually now taken over the territory of their previous enemy, Saul, and now had been proclaimed king, they were out to destroy him. So they sent out a powerful army to search for him. Now, I, I just want to, to notice this, that, um, you know, 
we are in a battle against Satan. And um, the Bible says, the Bible says quite clearly that when anybody becomes a Christian, he, become, he or she becomes a target for the devil. When Peter's talking to the people in Rome, um, he's talking to slaves, mainly. They, they weren't influential people, the people that uh, Peter was talking to. Um, and he says to them, be on your guard, be sober, be awake. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Uh, and, you know, you could imagine some, some, you know, anonymous slave, who, me? Why would the devil be after me? The answer, of course, is that once someone becomes a child of God, they are of cosmic significance in the spiritual battle. Everyone who is born again becomes part of Christ's body. And being part of Christ's body, we have a significance way, way beyond our, our, the normal role that we have in life. Every Christian is important to God, and he's also a significant enemy of Satan. And the devil knows that, even if we don't. You might think, oh, well, I'm not very important to the devil. Well, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking a Christian to devour, not just someone, not just the people of the world. He does that too, but also to destroy the Christian. And, of course, Peter was thinking primarily of actual persecution. Uh, the killing of Christians in persecution, but of course it also applies to his, his seeking for us to fall into sin. And, it's, you know, I, I was reading a, a, an old-fashioned old commentary from the 19th century about uh, on this subject of the great spiritual battle of morning, and he said something to this effect. He said, we as Christians don't realize that even something as simple as a little white lie is involved in really significant spiritual, has really important spiritual significance. To us, oh, you know, it might, oh, it's a little white lie, or, or it might be some other little sin, we say. But actually, to the devil, it is a significant um, uh, chink that he has opened up in our armor, and a, a, a very significant thing for our spiritual life. Sin is incredibly significant in terms of our ability to be fighters for God. And if he can introduce sin into our lives, infect our hearts with sin, even small ones which grow bigger and bigger and bigger, hardening our hearts, hardening our lives, he can actually maim us, defeat us, make us paralyzed, if you like, for any action against him. So uh, as this writer was saying, so, uh, and he said it in very Victorian language, really, about um, whether it be in the in the dining room or in, uh, in our study or in uh, uh, the various other areas of social intercourse between people, these little things are significant in our spiritual lives. And uh, you see, these battles that are, are talked of in the Old Testament, right the way through the Old Testament, the battles against, against the foes of Israel, um, are actually to be understood against the backdrop of the Old Testament teaching and the New Testament teaching, especially in Revelation, about the spiritual war that is going on. A titanic struggle that most of the time we're not aware of. I mean, in, in a local church, we're aware of our struggles to, to preach the gospel, to see conversions, to, uh, to maintain the faith, to battle against false doctrine, these things. Yes, we're aware of those things. But actually, 
Our little battles are against a backdrop of a titanic struggle between the forces of darkness and the forces of God. And uh, these um, Old Testament stories do contain significant teaching for us in, in the fighting of these battles. So the battle orders that we're going to look at here are the battle orders that was given to David in this particular battle, and I think there are spiritual lessons uh, to note against it. Um, the first thing I want to, 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 uh, to notice is this, is that once um, David uh, had been anointed king and then the Philistines went up to search for David, it says in verse, uh, verse uh, eight, 8, David heard of it and went out against them. David heard of it and went out against them. Now, we need to, to see that we are facing this onslaught against the devil. Uh, in this case, David actually went out to face them it, to initiate a, a battle against them. In our case, the battle has already started. As I've said already, every Christian is born into, into this world war that's going on, this cosmic war. Every one of us are involved in the battle straight away. But I want to notice what, what, what David did and what, of course, we should see as absolutely, absolutely important in our lives. It says that David um, basically heard of it and went out against them. Um, but uh, what David did was this. The Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim, which is, of course, still in, in Israel, and David inquired of God, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? Now, the inquiring of God involved, of course, asking God um, for wisdom and help in making this decision. Shall I fight them now? But we may note he's going to the Lord. He, he wasn't, um, he, he wasn't self-confidently going out in his own strength, power and wisdom. Oh, yeah, the Philistines are coming. Right, I'm going to do this. No, he goes to God. How important it is that every day we are coming before God? Every day we're fighting these battles. Every day we have these, uh, we have these problems to deal with, difficult people to deal with. We have temptations. We have uh, particular areas of service. And every day we need to be coming before God. Um, first thing in the morning. You know, uh, that, uh, you know, the hymn talks, isn't it, about uh, when morning gilds the sky, my heart awaking cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. And uh, we need to start off the day with praise and thanksgiving and also uh, with prayer for help against the enemies that are going to be against us. Now, uh, I want us to notice this, though, that um, David prayed and he was given an answer. Uh, shall I go up against the, the Philistines? Will, will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, now this is verse 10, go up and I will give them into your hand. Now, actually, the battle was in two phases, as we, as we read. The first phase was uh, ended in a, in, a, in, a, in a great victory for David. But the Philistines didn't give up. The Philistines regrouped reinforced, probably extended their, the numbers of, uh, of Philistine soldiers from other areas coming in 
to go up against him again. Now, actually, you know, one of the things that we have as Christians is this, that often it's precisely when things have gone really well that the devil will attack us again and lead us into some kind of sin. I mean, I don't know if you've had that experience, that you've had a really great spiritual experience, things have gone really well in your life, and then something else happens, which perhaps really brings you down, or perhaps you're tempted into a sin. It could be like the sin that David might have been tempted into, which is mentioned in this passage. He might have been tempted into sitting back and, and saying, wow, look at me, and then basking in this glory and, uh, and saying to all of the people, you chose a great king, or words to that effect. Now, what do we see that actually happens? It says this, um, from, verse, from verse 11, he went up to Baal Perazim, and David struck them down there, and David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a bursting flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim. Now notice he says, he doesn't say, uh, God made me into a great, uh, a great uh, warrior and I, it's, it's my strength. It's God has won this victory through my hands. My hands which were, were weak and were empty. My hands which I raised him, inquiring of him. And through my hands, through my leadership, there's been this great breakthrough. And that, of course, that's really what it's saying, isn't it? The breakthrough. The breakthrough like a, a gigantic flood. It's as if David is saying that here were we, you know, weak and hopeless against this, this very efficient, formidable enemy, and suddenly a great flood of power outside of myself has come down and, and destroyed them. And he gives God the glory. Now, uh, I, I would take from this that we can actually take this as a specific a specific warning to ourselves and also an encouragement to ourselves. We pass through a, a, a time in our own personal ministries, whether it be in, in Sunday school or, or whatever area of church life we're involved in, as a pastor or as uh, uh, an evangelist, uh, a, a person working amongst older people or younger, whatever our, our particular area of service for God is, when things go well, we give glory to God and we pray all the more independence upon him and we watch out that when there is significant um, moves forward when we see someone converted that we actually ourselves all the more pray to the Lord uh, for strength and power to live a holy life which I think actually we uh, I'll be you know dealing with as we go on now I want us to, to notice this that After this first phase of victory, we see that um, uh, there's a second phase. And in this second phase, the, as I've said, the Philistines regroup. They actually um, start uh, their, uh, their uh, conspiracies to bring him down. And uh, it says this, verse 13, And the Philistines yet again made a raid in the valley. And it was more than a, a raid. Um, I think that translation isn't a great one here. Um, certainly, um, uh, the you know the, uh, Bright, the uh, uh, a great uh, historian of uh, I'm not sure whether it's a Christian or not, but a great historian of, of biblical history um, makes it clear that this was a fairly monumental 
um, uh, battle that uh, David was involved with. Uh, so when they, they regrouped and they made their, um, their onslaught into uh, the valley of Rephaim, David again inquired of God, and God said to him, You shall not go up after them. Go around and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out to battle, for God has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. Now, I want to again notice this. David, in inquiring of God, was not um, sort of asking, well, God, may I retreat? He wasn't asking for that advice. He wasn't, it, 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 there was no question of that. Uh, shall I surrender, rather, rather than retreat? Because a retreat can be part of a military maneuver. Uh, he wasn't asking to surrender. He was, he was actually asking for guidance from God as how to prosecute this military uh, this military event. And uh, I want us to notice that we as believers, we have been given our instructions as believers in this spiritual war. And that instruction was the last instruction Jesus gave to his disciples, which was, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, he said to others during his earthly career, he said, you know, um, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He enlisted people in the cause of the kingdom of God. Go out and preach the kingdom of God. We have this responsibility, both as a church community and as individuals, to spread the message of Jesus. That's what the New Testament church in the Acts of the Apostles did when, when a, a great onslaught of Satan happened through Paul, a great persecution of the church. We're told that they were all scattered all over, the, all over the place. And wherever they went, they went preaching the word. So David wasn't actually, uh, you know, coming to say, oh, oh Lord, shall we evangelize? Now, you, actually, amongst some evangelistic groups, evangelical sections over the past 40 or 50 years of my Christian experience, actually, sometimes it seemed to, be, to indicate the Christian should talk in those terms. It's like, well... We've got some alternatives. We could, we, maybe we need to do some social work first and gain credibility for ourselves. Then maybe after people respect us and, and give credibility to our actions, we'll then go out and preach the gospel. No, it doesn't say that. Uh, others who are, don't necessarily believe that, they will uh, wait and pray for months and months, waiting for a word from God, a, a, a message in tongues or a prophecy, to direct them that, you know, yes, go out now. No. David was in the war. There was no question of, of needing instructions, yes, go out to war. The, the question was, in what order shall I go? What is the tactics I should use? What is the strategy I should use? And that's what God gave him. And God gave him here um, a strategy which was um, to attack in a different way from in, on the first occasion. Uh, on the first occasion, he went straight into the battle, headlong in, uh, so that the two, two sides were, f were facing one another. Here the strategy was different. He was going to go secretly behind the Philistine forces. Um, when, it, when it talks about the trees of Rephaim, funnily enough, in, in the Vale of Rephaim today, there's loads and loads of trees. And you can therefore understand the idea that uh, David's army was kind of hidden by uh, the forests, and when David heard 
a, a marching, a marching, a great marching on, on top of the trees. Now, lots of different commentators down the ages, including Jewish commentators, said, oh, well, maybe it was an angelic army. And uh, it, they could hear the, the, the rustling of the leaves of the angels kind of going through, going through, the, going through the trees. Obviously, someone else might say, yes, perhaps it was the, 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 the sound of the wind of the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe, but here it, it's talking specifically about marching. And uh, uh, what God gave was a sound of a great army marching, which, which was the signal for the people of Israel for themselves to attack. Now, uh, for, the, for the Philistines, it must have been highly alarming. They were being fought on two fronts. One was the, where the sound of the marching was coming from, and the other was the Israelites creeping up behind in ambush upon the people. The sound of the marching, the sound of the great army, which of course represented God himself. God himself was acting in power, to rout and destroy the army. And now, here's, here's the significant thing. God was going to destroy them, but it was actually David's army that had also to do the fighting. Now, here, here's a, a, very interesting, um, a very interesting comment um, that was made by Matthew Henry. And he, he pointed out this, that basically... Paul says in, uh, in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. And he said something to the effect of this, that just, it, it, it's, it's, it would be silly for, um, for someone to say this, well, God is at work in me, uh, to will and do his good pleasure, so I don't have to do anything. No, that's not what Paul says. He says, God is at work in you. You were converted. You came to a knowledge of Christ. Jesus has spoken to you. He's, he's called you to follow him, and in, in our, our weak ways, we're following him. So, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Just as a, a soldier in, in the Russian army I had to attack. Uh, had to uh, attack when given orders to to, uh, uh, to attack. Because if they didn't attack and go forward, there were men behind with machine guns waiting to to, to shoot them down if they retreated. The, the Russian commissars. I saw I saw a, um, a documentary uh, the other night about this. Uh, uh, you could actually see these men shooting down those who weren't going fast enough into battle. They were in fear and trembling not to go into battle. In the case of us Christians, we're not afraid of the Lord in a slavish fear like, like uh, the Russian soldiers were afraid of their communist masters. But in fear and trembling before the God who has saved us, redeemed us by his own blood, by a reverent love of our Father in heaven, we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Now, um, this applies, of course, both... In church, uh, in church um, work for the Lord, but also I just think for a minute about in our own individual Christian life. I've said already that we are involved in a, a colossal spiritual battle where even what happens in our lounge, our, our kitchens, our uh, studies, our uh, you know our bedrooms, everything that in, on a small domestic level is, is actually still involved in a spiritual battle. 
And it can weaken and hamper our Christian lives if things aren't right in those areas. Now, the Lord wants us to actually uh, be working out our salvation with fear and trembling in those areas. And uh, as in this particular uh, passage, it tells us um, that um, the order was um, sorry, I've lost the, lost the passage. Um, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out to battle. For God has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. Now, some translations say, rouse yourself for battle. Stir yourself up. Be involved. Go out. The holy go of Jesus. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel. But also, go into the spiritual battle against sin. Mortify your sins. Turn away from temptation. Seek to be holy. You know, be really involved in stirring yourself up for the spiritual battle. And God is at work within you to will and to do his good pleasure. So work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Um, now, the, the next thing I want to know is this, is that this is a call to go forward in all aspects of the Christian life. As I've said, um, the, the Hebrew word, I, I think, for uh, which is translated... Um, uh, in uh, Chronicles, uh, as as you know, to go out uh, in in Kings, uh, it, it has a kind of a related word, which has the sorry in two Samuel, it has a related word, which means rouse yourself, you know, urgently, you know, be sharp, get yourself going, go forward, and uh, we need to go forward in the Christian life. Again, Peter tells us this in two Peter. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If I say that in the context of this passage, God has given everything we need to go forward in the battle against Satan. That doesn't, you know, that's not meant to be a triumphalist statement, I'm victorious. No, it's to say God is victorious. He, and he gives us what we need to actually move forward in our Christian lives. And... Uh, Peter goes on to say, well, since he's given us these great and precious promises, so that through them you may become partakers of this, the divine nature, for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness. Now, as you go through that list of Peter's, it's very similar in meaning to the list of um, things that Paul talks about when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Very, very similar. Now, neither Paul nor Peter is trying to say, look, here is extra duties to add on to your Christian life. He's not saying that. He's saying that we are to seek God's power and strength, that he will grant us these fruits of the Spirit in our life, that he will help us to develop these qualities and move on to a rounded, a rounded Christian life full of Christ. Now the certainty, the certainty of this victory, of the victory of Christ in our, in our lives, should move us on. The sound of the marching at the top of the poplar, uh, poplar trees, or balsam trees, one translation says poplar trees, um, 
It's a signal to us to move on in our Christian lives. Now, what, 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 does this, what, what could this mean? Well, it had a specific meaning for David, but I think it is in order actually to, 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 to get a, a kind of a spiritual meaning from this for our particular Christian life. Because what David was aware of was not human activity. When he heard that marching, he wasn't thinking, oh yeah, there's another army coming from, uh, from the tribe of, uh, uh, of Levi or something or whatever that's coming to help us. No, that was a perception that God is at work. That perception that they're miraculous. God, the Lord of hosts, he, he, is, he, is, he is working. Now, as we as believers, we have signals that God has worked in our life. Uh, mentioned already, when you first became a Christian. It was God that led you to repentance and faith. It was God who arranged those circumstances. You met that person who took you to that meeting or spoke to you in that way. That was a work of God. That was the sound of the marching of God. As trivial as it may seem, the, 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 the fact of the matter is that just as our little sins have a significant thing to do with the spiritual battle where the devil may use these little things to bring us down. It is also true that God is marching in our lives. And the little things of our li- in those little things of our lives, there may be significant evidence that God is at work and that God is in us to will and to do his good pleasure. So the signals of God's activity is something that should encourage us all the more to go out to battle for him in our church. When we see someone coming to Christ, it may be in our church every six months, maybe longer, maybe shorter. People come to know the Lord. This is God at work. This isn't uh, human propaganda. It's not because of the, our human outreach. This is God who is at work. It's not because any, anybody's taking the credit for it. God is doing this. And that should encourage us all the more to go out and seek uh, to do his work. This isn't about human activity, but being aware of the activity of God in this human world. We are to sharp, be sharp, alive, roused to action by the way that we perceive God is working now, but also looking back over our past lives. Let's be encouraged in our past lives by the way that we've seen God working. Now, this, this also may apply also to the great tragedies of, of life, the great wars and these things. These things, on one level, are the sign of, of the devil's working. It's the sign of, uh, of uh, the fruit of sin in, in the world. But actually, in another sense, it is also, God also speaks through these tragedies. Didn't Jesus say, when talking about a tragedy that happened where the Tower of Siloam fell over and killed 18 people or something, didn't he say that, repent, or you will likewise perish? Do you think they were worse than anybody else? The great tragedies of this world are actually beaming out a message, should be beaming out a message, certainly to all Christians, but really going out to the whole world. These tragedies are happening And we should repent or we will likewise perish. We can see all kinds of varieties of ways in which 
God is heard marching through this world. He's doing things in this world. And we are to respond, uh, as David did, obediently by, um, as we say, when, uh, as I said, when you hear the sound of marching to the tops of balsam trees, go out to battle. For God has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And we see that David did as God commanded him, and they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Giza. Now, I've talked on a, a, a very um, domestic, small level about our own, our own Christian lives. But we, as part of the church in Great Britain, should be seeking from God a great spiritual victory over the forces of evil that appear to be totally dominant in our politics, in our media, uh, in our education. In fact, most of the, the, you know, the, the high places of uh, our society have been captured by secularism or, or even religious fanaticism. Um, and, uh, well, the whole, of, the whole of the church of Christ in this country be, should be seeking that God is going to, to be uh, going out to battle for us. And uh, may we be um, spurred on by what we know of God working in our life to be praying for our society, that God will do great things. So I'd like to uh, finish by singing number A9 in the uh, A9 at the back of the red books, A9. We've sung this quite a few times in the past year, but this is uh, relevant to the sermon this evening. A9, O church arise and put your armour on. <laughs>